Welcome to the Unconventional Path, Secrets to Igniting Your Business with Bela and Mike. Hi, I'm Bela Musitz, a former three-time entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and now the David D. Ray Professor of Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Clarkson University in Potsdam, New York. And I'm Mike Wasserman, Professor of International Management at the Münster University of Applied Sciences in Münster, Germany. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy our podcast. The two of us want to take the lessons we've learned over the past three decades as entrepreneurs, investors, managers, and professors, and leverage our network of interesting friends, former students, business partners, and others we've met along the way in our life's journey to bring you interesting stories, ideas, and insights into innovation, entrepreneurship, and the people that take unconventional paths to find happiness at work and in life. Before we get to today's guest, a quick thank you to our sponsors, Clarkson University, and the Münster University of Applied Sciences. Before we start, just a quick note. Bela recorded the following interview live in front of an actual audience, so sorry for a little extra background noise. So we'll jump into it. Today's interview is with Tyler Wrightson, uh, founder of Leet Cybersecurity, Stacks Espresso Bar, uh, and also a new co-working space that we'll talk about in a few seconds. So let me welcome Tyler Wrightson. Tyler, please come join us. So we're going to have a conversation uh, about Tyler. And let me do a little bit of an in- introduction, if, if you'll allow me. So Tyler has founded uh, three companies. I mean, I've closed more, if that's what you want to know. <laughs> so right now you have Leet Cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Stacks Espresso Bar. Yep. And you have some co-working space. I've yep, just opened up a co-working space, CoLab. And you've also written two books. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, that you can find on Amazon, I would imagine. Yep. So, really accomplished person. And I thought one of the interesting things about Tyler is his books and his some of his companies are all about cybersecurity. So really nerdy stuff. It's true. And then. He starts a coffee <clears throat> restaurant, coffee bar, what is it called? Yeah, coffee shop. Coffee club. shop, yeah. right? So really different. And, and I thought that would be kind of an interesting conversation to sort of understand the differences and the challenges in those two very different types of businesses. But first of all, let's go back to the early years. <laughs> so where did you grow up? Uh, Kinderhook, New York. Okay. Yep. And uh, entrepreneurs in the family? Sort of. Uh, so my parents, uh, I, I hate microphones. Can everyone hear me okay? Okay, <laughs> cool. Uh, so my parents started a uh, natural foods company when they first got married. It didn't really last very long, supposedly. So they have five kids. Supposedly we're all eating all of the, the goods <laughs> there. So um, my grandfather had a relatively successful uh, steeplejack business. So he did like high construction. I think that's probably the, the only folks in the, in the family. Okay, and you said you had four siblings? Yeah. And entrepreneurship in any of those? Lately, yeah. So uh, my sister opened up a juice bar uh, about a year ago, acquired a juice bar. Uh, my youngest brother started a rim repair business. Um, yeah. So clearly there was something in that organic food that... Might be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of drove you to the... And are you the oldest, youngest? I'm the oldest man in the family. Yep. Okay. So I only have one older sister. Yeah. And uh, where'd you go to school? Uh, so I went to Ichabod Crane. Yep. 
Wow. Riders represent. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so uh, technically, I did drop out of uh, Ichabod Crane in my senior year. Yep. Which is very, very good. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. So we won't go the high, we won't talk about higher education then. That's fine with me. Well, but the point here is that, you know, there's often a debate about is, is higher education necessary? Mm. You know, does it prepare you? And there's clearly examples of individuals where you, you, have, you have the entrepreneurship gene and it was turned on when you were born. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, you clearly do, right? And, and uh, so I think that that's wonderful. So what inspired you to start your own business? Let's say the fir- what, was, what was your first business? So my first business was almost immediately after I dropped out of high school. I started a company called Inatech Computer Services. Anyone catch the reference? Yes, who said it? Nice job. Yeah, office space. It's a hilarious, like, cult classic. It was, like, this big evil corporation, so I thought it was pretty ironic. Um, yeah, I was just doing, like, basic computer repair stuff. And, uh, you know, very, very limited success, but it was uh, enjoyable, you know. So could we say that when, when you were in high school, you were sort of on the nerdy side? No, actually, I wasn't on the nerdy side. So you started this computer repair business, but I mean, I don't know. I don't, I'm not. I'm not good with uh, with labels. Uh-huh. Um, I was. Uh, huh? Mean? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's no, no. No, I think nerd is a is a compliment. I just exactly. don't think I was. Uh, I would have associated myself with uh, with nerddom in uh, in high school. I totally get it now. I totally get that people could probably easily label me a nerd, uh, but no, I was just like a normal. Uh, a normal kid, you know, I skateboarded a lot, rollerbladed, BMX, snowboarded, yeah, you know, and computers were just another another thing hobbies. that you did. Yeah, perfect. You must have done it really well. Um, not back then. <laughs> <laughs> well, knowing what you know in now, retrospect, not back yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So the first business you, what did you do again? It was just basic computer repair type stuff, you know, like setting up home networks and that kind of stuff. Uh, one person business. Yeah, it was employees. Just, yeah, it was me and a cell phone. That was it. Okay. Yep. And then what came after that one? Uh, so, what did I do after that? I think technically, after that, I tried creating some sort of like uh, website that somebody, some people had approached me about. Uh, it was called Rent a Server, and it was not what you think. It was like social networking for uh, restaurant servers, that kind of thing. Uh, and that, uh, that collapsed pretty quickly. Um, then I was at uh, GE, um, in network operations here in Schenectady, and uh, hating every minute of it. And so I started, uh, I started Lark Computers and started a storefront doing similar stuff, like uh, basic uh, computer repair type mm-hmm. stuff. And this was, geez, um, I think 2010. And so I was at GE feeling pretty miserable. I was trying to, like, get the business started while I was, while I was there. And one day I just had an epiphany, like, why am I at, why am I at this job that I absolutely despise? Um, so without really much of a plan, I was just like, all right, I'm done with this, and left and devoted myself to, uh, to, to Lark. And simultaneously, so it was, I can't remember which technically started first. I started Leet Cybersecurity back then, um, but I think in my mind it was a lot harder to uh, start a cybersecurity company back then. Um, you know, in my mind when I was growing up, um, and actually maybe it, maybe it makes a little more sense to take a small step back and explain, like, specifically what I like, uh, what I do within computers. So uh, all Elite Cybersecurity does is, is hack organizations. We identify weaknesses that hackers would exploit. We don't fix anything. We don't sell hardware or software. That's it. 
And so that was, that's been my passion since I was a little kid, is breaking security. Um, and so growing up, I thought it was like an absolute dream job. I was like, oh, my God, there must be like five people in the world that get paid to do this. And so when I started uh, Lead Cybersecurity, I started uh, Lark Computers. I'm like, okay, Lark Computers is going to be an easier thing to generate some revenue, and it'll give me some time to build Lead Cybersecurity. And ironically, Lead took right off, and Lark was okay. It like basically was cash flow positive, but you know, not really putting much money in my pocket. Um, so yeah, that was the real starting point for uh, for Lead Cybersecurity. It was technically uh, about eight years ago. And so talk about that journey a little bit. How did that grow? So back then, a lot of my work came from other technology-related companies that were uh, subbing stuff out to Elite Cybersecurity, and I would take anything on at that point. You know, anything cybersecurity-related, I would do it. And I got a call from my oldest hacking friend uh, who lives in Boston. He's like, hey, I joined this huge company. Like, we have this open position. He's like, you know, would you ever want to join us? I said, absolutely not, but I'll have a conversation with your manager because you know, maybe you guys will sub stuff out to me. And so they painted this really great picture. Um, they're doing some really interesting work, you know, work with, like, top, top five banks and things like that, stuff that Leap Cybersecurity never would have been able to get, gain access to, um, you know, with our current uh, trajectory. And uh, so I decided, all right, maybe it does make sense to join them for a little while. So I closed Leap Cybersecurity, joined them for uh, a year and a half, and uh, hated it. So you joined them as an employee. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yep. Hated it. I just don't uh, thrive in... Uh, that type of position, um, even though it was a uh, a really great uh, job, it was really great work. I was dealing with really cool people. Uh, it just wasn't for me. Um, so then, about a year and a half into that, uh, made the decision. My wife and I we, we moved down to Miami for a little bit. We're going to move back home. We're going to start restart Lead Cybersecurity and focus on that. And I got a call from uh, two of my friends, the folks that uh, founded Great Castle uh, Security over in Troy. And had some conversation with them. I was like, hey, I'm, I'm restarting Lead Cybersecurity. Um, realized that that's what I'm meant to do. And they're like, yeah, well, why don't you join us instead as, you know, you can be our first technical employee. We'll give you a part of the company. You know, we'll acquire Elite and all that. And that also seemed like a really great opportunity. Uh, so I did that. I joined them uh, for about a year and a half and realized that that also was not for me, um, that I really and truly just meant to uh, uh, be in control of, you know, what I'm, what I'm building. Uh, so we parted ways amicably. Um, still worked with them for a little while afterwards, but uh, restarted Elite with my wife and been, you know, gung-ho on that for the past five years. Actually, um, I think we're about a month away from our five-year anniversary. Yeah, so, so how, how big are you guys now? So now we're uh, 12 people. We're trying to grow. Uh, we're trying to bring on some more technical folks and trying to expand into additional markets, too. In the past, uh, the first couple of years, we did no work in New York State. It was all across the country. And, uh, and then we just got a ton of, like, state work and other local companies. Uh, so we've been doing a, a lot of work here. So we really want to, like, specifically try to target other companies or other uh, uh, geographies like Boston or New York or D.C. So. And what's your, what's your typical engagement like? Um, from what perspective? Like, who well, we for, Yeah, for customer, yep. how big, how long? So we don't do anything with small businesses. We only deal with, like, medium enter- enterprise clients. Um, we do a lot of work with New York State. Um, we do a lot of work with uh, healthcare, like hospitals and things like that. Um, average uh, engagement length is about uh, two to three months. Yeah. And you're still doing the same thing. You're sort of trying to show the weaknesses in exactly. their IT systems That's and, all and we their do. security. All we do you is don't fix it. You just sort nope. of discover the weaknesses. So in some ways, you know, in some of these cases, we are we have the capacity to fix it, but we're trying to 
avoid any conflict of interest. You know, we don't want to say, hey, you need to install some more widgets. And by the way, we sell widgets. So it's like, you know, we're trying to be like very, very focused. And especially from a business perspective, you know, the, the, the more we can focus, I think the better we'll be. So, you know, I like to tell people that we're like hyper laser focused that, you know, all we do is break security and, and you know, it's, we're providing extra value that way. Yeah. Because that's all we do. And where does your, what is your typical employee, their background, <laughs> what do they look like or? They, they run the gamut. I get asked that question a lot. Um, so, you know, we've got, like, uh, somebody who was, like, majoring in, like, uh, like uh, want to be a physicist. We've got a business major. We've got comp sci kids. Um, the challenging part is that um, there is not good curriculum right now to, like, do what we do. So a lot of it just comes down to whether or not that person has uh, a passion for what we do, uh, which is one of the requirements uh, which is very, very unique and special to our industry. You know, I like to compare it to, like, uh, you know, even, like, accounting, right? So, like, once you, once you have the basics of accounting, you're, like, you're pretty good for the rest of your life. You know, you'll, you'll pick up new things as you go along, but it doesn't change nearly as rapidly as cybersecurity. Cybersecurity has active threats, right? People all across the world who are looking for vulnerabilities in the software that we use every single day. And so you need the desire to learn that stuff every single day to stay up to speed. Otherwise, you know, a month goes by and you're, you're behind the eight ball. Do you have a question? I think you just answered it. I was going to say, is there like a, a business uh, like meeting that you have, or are they responsible for the research to keep up with all that by themselves? It's both. So we're tr we try to do things to foster it internally, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's personal responsibility. And, and again, ultimately to me, it comes down to passion. If you don't have a passion for it, it's going to be very, very hard to fake it. Yeah. So it's like you just need to like want to learn this stuff every single day. Okay. So, yeah. And... Uh, do you find it? I'm sorry. Was there another question? Yeah, there's a question there. Yeah, yeah, go. I'm really interested in how you guys do process modeling for taking the information from assisting clients with previous threats. Well, now how do you add it back into your value stream and either spread it to the investment for the employees, structural knowledge for certain kinds of systems which could have help your your information infrastructure? I'm just so you're saying, how do we take the work clients have already done? Oh, yeah. So actually, that's one of the biggest things we do is that uh, one of our uh, competitive differentiators is we've been developing a software platform in-house since we started five years ago. And it is specifically on that. It's, the, it's a business process management tool for hacking organizations. To a degree, I would think so. Yeah. And is it a challenge to find employees? Uh, to a degree. So right now, within cybersecurity, is a phenomenal field to get into. Uh, there is something like over half a million open job positions and zero unemployment. And so clearly, that puts a challenge on folks like me looking for talent. Uh, I think one of again our, our competitive differentiators is that because we're so hyper laser focused on hacking. And that is an area of extreme passion for a lot of people that I can tell them, hey, come work for me and you'll get to do what you love every single day. Where, you know, if you go work for a, a larger company, you know, you might be reviewing like documents and you know, policies and procedures and things that are very important from a cybersecurity perspective, but far more boring. So, so are your employees, any, you have any remote employees or are they all geographically here? So uh, we have a very, very uh, flexible work policy. I believe a lot in uh, life balance versus work-life balance. Uh, because everyone needs to, to work to live. 
Um, so, you know, you need to balance your life. Uh, so ultimately, I don't care uh, where they work from uh, or, or when they work as long as they get their work done. So we're trying to grow it so that we can scale and, you know, have people in, uh, I don't know, remote countries even. So we've got, we've got folks over in uh, uh, California, Boston, Canada um, who, who do work for us. Um, and my guys, I don't care, you know, where, where they're at uh, when they're doing their stuff or my ladies. So. And so uh, in the last five years since you've sort of restarted this business, what, have, what has been the biggest challenge? I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> I don't know. There's so many. Um, I think one of the largest challenges with, with my industry, well, with, with my, uh, with this model is right now we're extremely spiky from a revenue perspective. So we'll go from, you know, cloud nine, like we're, we're swimming in cash to, oh my God, like, what are we going to do? Like, we need money to come in and we've got clients telling us, oh yeah, yeah, we'll, you know, we need a couple more days. We'll, we'll right. send it out to you. So it's like, that to me is one of the key differences between stacks and leet. And it's a challenge because, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not independently wealthy. You know what I mean? I can't, uh, and no one in my family, so I can't really go to them and be like, oh, you know, we just need to uh, a little bit to get by. It's like, it's a, it's a real challenge. Yes, yeah. yes. Part of the challenge in, in many sort of billable hours businesses, which yeah. this sort of is. Exactly. Right? Yep. And you have sh- relatively short engagements. Yeah. Is you got to keep them stacked. Exactly. <laughs> so we're trying to combat that by, we've started uh, uh, this, this new service, which we call Hacker Guards in which we do what we do on a regular basis, which ultimately really is what organizations need. Because the problem is that hackers don't just, like, check your organization one week a year and then say, oh, no, they're secure. I'll, you know, I'll be back the same, same week next year. It's like they're continuously probing organizations and looking for specific weaknesses. Um, and so we're developing this model where um, on a uh, weekly and monthly basis we're, we're probing that organization looking for those same weaknesses so they can fix them on a right on a faster so that gives you kind of a recurring revenue model exactly then. exactly and that software is being built to help us deliver that in a very very efficient yes. economical way have you raised any outside capital no nope nope started uh, both with uh without even much like in savings um so when i left gray castle i had a small amount of savings i think i had like five grand and uh, I had a couple checks coming in uh, for, I might have had like 20 or 25. And uh, that was quickly uh, spent acquiring stacks. So I was right back to uh, basically zero pretty quickly. Right. So from the time that you, you started your cybersecurity business, uh, you, you left Gray Castle, to the time you had your first customer, what was that window? How long was that window? Oh, I think it was days. Days. Yeah, yeah, Because... Yeah. Um, I don't know, for lack of a better way, I think uh, I've got a lot of connections within cybersecurity. That's all I've been doing for my entire life, uh, professionally. And uh, so, you know, it's just a matter of, like, picking up the phone and saying, hey, you know, I'm doing this now. And that's where I think a lot of people who have made similar jumps uh, experience that type of serendipity. And it's like, you know, the more you think about it, it's like, it's not necessarily, like, serendipitous. It's like, it's just, like, simple logic. It's like, when you free yourself up to tell people, this is all I'm doing, they want to work with you, and they're like, oh, okay, well, I've got that type of work. Let me give you that type of work. So it's like, you know. Excellent. So let's, let's switch now to Stacks. Sure. The espresso bar, <laughs> yeah, right? Sure. So how do you go from nerdy cybersecurity, <laughs> and I mean nerdy as a compliment, I take right? it as a compliment. Yeah, yeah. that's how I mean it. Uh, back when I went to school, it wasn't a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, moving into an espresso coffee bar. Yeah. So... <clears throat> the I was working from home. Let me think what. So I started uh, Elite in uh, November of uh, 2014. 
And I was finishing up my second book at that time, which is technically one of the reasons why I was like, I need to make this jump. I need to finish this expletive book. Because um, it it's, it's, it's a lot of work to, to write a, a book. And uh, <clears throat> so I, would, I was working from home, and I, needed, I need to escape. Um, I, I can't work from one little closed-in area for, for any period of time. And uh, so I would go to this coffee shop, uh, Cafe Vero on Lark Street, probably three to four hours every single day. And uh, they had a great product. Uh, they had terrible staff. I still don't even really know that much about coffee, to be honest. Um, I just knew that it tasted good, and I liked it. And uh, I overheard sometime in March of 2015 that they were closing, that the, that the, the owner didn't want to renew the lease for whatever reason. Um, so I asked the barista behind the counter, I was like, oh, can you find out like, uh, if he's trying to sell it? And, you know, uh, it seems interesting. Because I could see some obvious problems with it. You know, like, they're running out of, like, cups and lids and chocolate and stuff. I'm like, come on, guys, like, pretty important to your business. And uh, so I was like, you know, if it was a reasonable cost, I could probably fix those problems. And uh, so long story short, I met with the owner. The reason why he was selling seemed like a, a, a logical Reason, you know, he had a, a business partner. His business partner was managing that location. Decided he wanted to go pursue a, a, a golf career, and so you know, he had a full-time job. He couldn't watch over this, and that's why all these things were, were failing. Um, so I have uh, virtually no experience other than when I was a teenager working in like a hardware store and that kind of stuff with with retail. Uh, definitely no experience with uh, food service or coffee. But it seemed like a interesting opportunity it seemed like the things that needed to be fixed were obvious and the number one reason why i pulled the trigger on it was because i had no experience with it and all i kept thinking was even if this money goes up in flames like imagine what i'll know at the end of this journey Um, so even if a year from now i have to close it it's like you know all the scrambling to try to fix it i'll probably learn a lot of stuff so uh I want to give some insight into like the um, the structure so that you can see the evolution of some of the deals that I've structured. Because since that time, I've acquired uh, two other shops and opened uh, uh, opened one more myself, and we're opening up another. Um, so he 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 put a value of thirty thousand dollars on on the hardware, and he just wants to sell the hardware and walk away and be done with it. We'll take over the lease. Um, so basically, what what it came down to was, I'll write a check for. Uh, Twenty thousand, and he'll hold a note for the remaining ten. And I used the own the, his own equipment as collateral for that. So I said, if I miss a single payment, come rip your equipment out, and you're still up twenty thousand dollars. That was an extreme amount of money to me back then, um, the most amount of money I've ever spent on on anything, especially something that I had no real uh, experience with. Um, so it uh, I did not want it to fail, um, but uh, but that structure of essentially. Um, collateralizing what they're selling to me has come in handy. And I'll tell you uh, about some of the other uh, deals that have proven to be pretty, uh, pretty good since then. Yeah, sometimes I've heard that called a clawback, <laughs> where if you miss that a sounds payment, very they appropriate. can claw it back. That sounds very appropriate. Right? And then yeah. you're out of business. Yeah, exactly. So you're extremely motivated. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's not like you know the bank's going to call a note and yeah. they'll stretch it out for six months. Yeah. This is like... The guy shows up in a truck, takes out your <laughs> yeah. coffee brewing equipment, exactly. and you're out of business. That was exactly the deal. That we so struck. that's a yeah. lot of motivation. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that business is obviously growing because you just yeah. talked about opening, acquiring some additional ones. Yeah. 
so what are some of the challenges? I, I like to sort of compare, right, yeah. the sort of tech business to the coffee business. Yeah. What sort of things are similar yeah. in, in running and managing and growing a business like that? Uh, I think one of the biggest similarities is that I love them both. They're both super interesting because they're so different, but they're, they're still uh, interesting business challenges. Um, you know, I think that's one of the advantages we've had in – uh, both of my businesses is that exposure to both of these and exposure to both these teams and both of these problems gives each business unique perspectives to say, oh, well, we fixed this this way and the other one. And, and I also think that, um, you know, so, so my primary background was within cybersecurity consulting. So I was, I was only that one time at GE, you know, like an in-house person. So I think bringing that type of uh, uh, perspective, like a consultant's perspective to coffee and how we should run it and grow it and scale it and, you know, treating it like a business from day one um, has, has allowed us to grow. Um, and we've implemented, I think, some relatively cutting-edge technology for coffee shops. I don't think a lot of coffee shops really embrace technology like we have, which, uh, so I don't know if you call that a, a similarity per se. So what's, what's an example? Just simple things like uh, uh, homegrown inventory tracking, ways to report problems, um, ways to process ordering utilizing like things like Trello and Google Docs and things like that. Like if you talk to a non-technical coffee shop owner, they're probably like, you know what I mean? But we've been, you've been utilizing that stuff since, uh, since day one. So it sort of gives you a better insight into what's going on. Yeah, that's Managing your expenses yep. and, and your revenues and at the same time um, putting in some system processes to make sure those things don't go out of control. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm big on, uh, on processes kind of being, uh, uh, I don't know, a core part, if not the savior of, of businesses. You know, I, I don't want to have to be operational, and frankly, I'm not technically operational in the business. And so the way we ensure that things get done the way that, uh, that we want them to get done is through, through processes. And so, again, we've got technology to back up those processes. So, you know, uh, a lot of good insight into that and a lot of data generated from that. Like, obviously, being uh, somewhat nerdy, um, the data to me is, is pretty important. And so we've got some, uh, some interesting things there, too. And what about hiring Employees, yeah. right? So a fair number of these employees are are facing the customer on exactly. a daily basis. Exactly. Right? So talk about that process and what you look for. Yeah. So so that's actually another area where we see a lot of similarities that I don't think uh, most traditional coffee shops would put a lot of effort into it. Um, from day one. So the conversation I had, and also I probably should have talked more about um, Ron, who is my coffee hacker, um, who knows. He is my. Uh, equivalent in coffee. You know what I mean? I recognize like another passionate nerd. I'm like, oh, he loves coffee as much as I love cybersecurity. So I'm like, I got to work with this guy. And uh, so we, the, the, the very first conversation we had was about the importance of the customer experience and that coffee is second to that. That ultimately one of the examples I like to use is if you have a bad customer experience and you treat the customers poorly and you give them the best cup of coffee, they're still going to hate you. But if you give them a, a lackluster coffee, and frankly, if you spill that coffee on them, but they really like you and like the experience you give them every time, they're going to say, oh, don't worry about it, and they're going to come back. And thus, we place a, a, a huge level of importance on the people we hire to make sure that they can have that, that positive interaction every time. And so I think that's one of the areas, too, where you know, most, most uh, uh, retail, especially food service businesses, I think don't place a high importance on uh, personnel, especially like uh, baristas and, and, and that type. And we place an extreme level of importance there. When we first started, up until maybe, maybe two years ago, so for the first three years, 
every new hire was interviewed by everybody else on the team. So everyone else got to meet them ahead of time before they, they work with them. And, and frankly, anyone could potentially veto that person and say, I just don't get a good vibe from them. I don't think they would fit in. We're like, okay, great. Let's look for the next person. And so again, I think that that's something that's easier to do from in a, in a uh, professional services consulting business. Because it, and it's more uh, uh, traditional, for lack of a better term, uh, but I don't think a lot of people are doing that in uh, in food service. And um, what are your what are your sort of limitations in growing that business? It is really capital intensive, right? So the cheapest shop that we've opened to date has been about um, well, maybe technically uh, that would be Newton, the newest one, and it probably costs like twenty thousand out of pocket. Um, and that's all up front, basically, exactly. for the equipment, yeah. lease, before you generate a single penny in exactly, revenue. Exactly, exactly. I don't know if you know how expensive espresso machines are, but it's like you can buy like a pretty nice car or an espresso machine. They're nuts. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's the capital cost. So the cool thing is about coffee is that from a cash flow perspective, it's the exact opposite of, of professional services. It is super steady, super predictable, especially coffee and especially when you um, establish yourselves as – not jerks. You know what I mean? People want to go there. They show up on a regular basis. And that's one of the interesting things that uh, I didn't realize about uh, food service and coffee especially is that essentially you don't, you have what are closer to like regular clients versus just customers. Like you have people who are there virtually every single day to, to chat with the same people and enjoy the same atmosphere. And, and it, thus your, your, your revenue is, is way more predictable. And especially now that we have this five-year track record, and once we identify, okay, this is what we think we're going to be up uh, from last year, month over month, it's, uh, it's super predictable. It's, it's, it's a little bit absurd, actually. So um, what's, what's the – so you have, you have this cash flow challenge, right, in, yep. in the coffee business um, or espresso bar business, <clears throat> excuse me. And as you, as you see that and you're hiring these employees – and you've talked a little bit about making sure that they engage with the customer, et cetera. But sort of if you unlayer that one more layer, what's sort of the culture like? Mm. And how do you maintain that, yeah, right? Yeah. How, do you, how do you say, you know, <clears throat> you were friendly for the first six months, but now you're frowning too much <laughs> and you're not all that nice. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's time to go. How, how do you sort of manage that, right? And there's high turnover, I would imagine, in that business potentially. I think with other places, they probably experience uh, a, a lot of excellent. high turnover. We don't. We've, we've got uh, my, my management team have all, all been with me from basically the start, which is a big, important piece to me. Like, I, I, at both businesses, I believe in, excuse me, um, like promoting from within. Um, but the culture is, is huge. And, and so luckily, we've uh, gotten to a point where it's very formal where our core values are documented, what we believe in is documented, the experience we're trying to create is documented. And so it's easy to have that conversation with new hires and then to hold people accountable to that and say, you know, here's a specific instance where a customer complained. And, and I'm big on, on um, starting with one of the worst reviews we have on Yelp and one of the worst experiences we had was my fault. You know what I mean? Telling people, because like, there was times when I was like, I was working behind the counter and I wanted to, to get a picture of, of you know, the, whole, the whole business. And uh, it was just a simple misunderstanding, but the person, they didn't have the experience that I wanted them to have. So I was like, I don't, I don't uh, uh, rap people on, oh, this specific instance you did terribly. It's more like, hey, let's learn from this and talk about how the, the experience we've defined and the culture that we have um, dictates that we should behave differently. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I, I heard a, an interview with... Uh 
another business leader once, and, and they said that every week they sit down and read all of their Yelp and social yeah. media reviews. Yeah. And then they turn that into a learning yeah, opportunity. Exactly. Right? Yeah, we do that too. Not a blame game, exactly. but a, how can we fix this? Yeah, I still respond right. to all of the feedback that we receive through our uh, point of sale system. Okay, great. So I'm going to wrap this up in a few minutes here and give everyone an opportunity for some questions so you can think about those. But there's a couple other things I wanted to cover first. So if, if you were giving advice to someone or mentoring someone who's sort of contemplating changing something in their career, mm. Right. Or, I mean, you've, you've clearly, you know, you, 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 you clearly are excited and enthusiastic about trying new things. Yeah, for right? sure. That's part of your DNA. Yeah. Right? I want to do new stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and so that's, I mean, you're gifted for that. And so if you were giving advice to someone who's thinking about making a career change, maybe from working in a large company to now starting something on their own mm -hmm. or from leaving what they're doing now because they have a dream you know, yeah. uh, to, to do something, what, what advice would you give them? Man, that's a tough question. Also, <laughs> I think it's ironic that you think uh, um, that uh, my desire for adventure is, is gifted because, ironically, that was exactly why I was failing school. Um, was that uh, that same desire? But uh, yeah, but that may be a I comment digress. about our education system and yeah. not about you. Yeah, could be, could be. Um, Says I mean, the guy who works in the education industry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I want to hop into that industry uh, at some point in the future. Um, I mean, honestly, I think uh, for me, it's about defining what I want. You know what I mean? As long as I know exactly what I want, which, frankly, um, for most of my life, um, I think it's been true. Um, but that's one of the things that I really need out of life is adventure and, and uncertainty, um, which you get from, from, from running a business, you get uncertainty. Um, and so I've always pursued that. So I'd say, like, literally define, write down what you want, and especially what you want out of, like, the process of life. You know, there's this great uh, uh, Zen quote, which is, uh, there is no way to happiness. Happiness is the way. And the first time I saw that, like, my mind was blown. I was like, oh, my God, I've been living my life wrong. I've been pursuing this thing that I think will make me happy, but I need to just create the process that makes me happy. And so if you, if you actually just define, like, the type of life that you want and then just pursue that life, I don't think you can go wrong. And maybe that life does entail um, change or not. You know, and maybe, maybe it's just tweaking the existing... Uh, um, job that you have, you know, but uh, I don't know. I think that that's been pretty key for, for me. So is, is there sort of an internal process you go through that says, gee, here's this coffee bar. I mean, you were sitting there going there every day, yeah, right? And yeah. now all of a sudden it's going to go away. <laughs> yeah. So is there an internal process that you go through that says, okay, this sounds like a good idea. And then a lot of people have that conversation with themselves, but you actually then take the next step. Yeah. Right. So what's what's that process like of saying, OK, I'm now going to step off the curb and, yeah, and, yeah. and do this. Right. Because a lot of people think about it. A lot yeah. of people talk about it. But you then take that and turn it into an actionable item. Right? Yeah. You have a bias for action. So how do you what's that process like? You know, it's funny because, again, I think back to like the things that. There's so many unknowns in this world. And the things that we attribute to uh, positive traits, I think, can sometimes get muddy. So growing up, I was the, I was the stupid kid that people were like, why the hell would you do that? Like, 
you know, I pro- the number of times that my mom asked me, what were you thinking, is probably innumerable. Um, so it's like, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe in, in some ways, you know, it could even still prove to be a detrimental thing to, to leap too many times. Um, I don't know, but it's what makes me happy, so. Yeah. I had those conversations with my mom as well, oftentimes on the way home from the emergency room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. So happy to open it up to uh, some questions from the audience. We have a few minutes. Any, any questions? Yes. You talked a little bit about kind of the, the ebbs and flows of the revenue streams. How yep. do you go about generating new business? Do you have a dedicated business development team? Is it kind of you? And what, what does that look like? So this year we just brought on our first biz dev person, Tara, right behind you. And uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, other than that, it's, um, it's primarily been through existing relationships, especially given what we do. It's a very, very sensitive thing. And uh, so one of my biggest, uh, go off on a quick tangent, one of my biggest, uh, most uh, favorite words within life right now is context. So I think uh, the the context of cybersecurity dictates that that is the best way for us to pursue revenue because you need a very, very trusting relationship to be like, oh, hack my organization. and so we leveraged that and, and, and focused on existing relationships and said, hey, we, ha- we, we had good results with you. You know someone else we can talk with. Or we, we focus on partner organizations. So we've got a couple key partner organizations that do related things but don't do what we do. And so we have a very, very good working relationship with them. Um, my goal for uh, this year is for me to focus 90% of my time on business development and not focus on operational things. Um, and we're getting close, but it's a, it's a struggle, that's for sure. Yeah, thanks. Too many seem to go the opposite direction, seem to fail, rather than expand and maybe plan new locations. So what do you, what would you say, from your perspective, um, are some of the main reasons like coffee shops uh, fail or I think the, the main reason why coffee shops fail is the main reason why most small businesses fail, which if you have actually look at the mortality rate for small businesses, it's like, it's pretty scary. Um, but it's because I think people treat it like a... They don't treat it like a scalable business from the start, which we have done. And so continuously investing in things that can allow us to scale and grow. And, and uh, you know, I, frankly, I haven't taken out a, a dime in, in, in revenue from, uh, or in profit from, from Stacks. It all goes back into it. Um, but I think people kind of, uh, they don't put themselves in a position to, to do that. You know what I mean? They... they they put themselves in the business. They put themselves as the key operational person. They make themselves the single point of failure for way too many things. And they put their own ego in the business way too much. Like, I hate when I can tell that this place is constructed for what the owner likes and not what the customers like. I despise that. And every single decision we make is counter to that. It's what will the customer like and not what do I want to see here. So, Thanks. yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know how to answer that. I don't think I have a good example because I have a different perspective on failure. Well, a, le- a lesson learned. But we we closed, so I acquired a shop in Wyndham, which is a very seasonal town, um, and had to close it six months later. I said this is not worth this juice is not worth the squeeze, and 
But it was a great learning opportunity, which again is why we pulled the trigger out. I was like, okay, if we if the 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 financing of this makes sense, and so that was another interesting one. I wanted to talk about that for people who are cash strapped. Is if you read two books, read nothing down for the two thousands. I don't know if there's a newer version of it now. Um, it's about some guy who goes and, and, and buys real estate with like a hundred dollars in his pocket. And have you seen? Have you read that book? Yeah. It's great. And basically, I think he ends the day with like. Uh, $95 can you spend $5 on lunch, something like that. So read that and read uh, How to Negotiate Anything, something like that, or You Can Negotiate Anything. Um, so Wyndham I acquired for basically $1,500, and it was like you know roughly probably $25,000 or $30,000 worth of equipment. And then I just paid them you know fifteen grand over the course of a, a year, a year and a half. So from a uh, capital investment perspective, from a cash flow perspective, it was at least breaking even. Um, and, and thus it wasn't a like catastrophic failure, but it was like clearly like, you know, we got into it and we're like, you know, this, it's just not going to be worth it to suffer through, uh, four to six months like this every year, hoping that those in season months are great. So we just, we closed it down and said, all right, we're not going to go to a town like that again. Um, probably ever. So, so we have time for one more question. Where do I think cybersecurity is going? Push a trend. One that you're interested in, one. <laughs> All right, so this is a good opportunity to talk about one, one initiative that we actually just kicked off because October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. Yes. Uh, so we are so convinced of the – so my second book was basically um, the fact that every single organization is so vulnerable today that a single hacker with a reasonable set of skills – can acquire everything that that organization cares about. And I'm so convinced of that, that uh, we're willing to put our money where our mouth is this month, and we're doing free if we fail, which is basically you hire us to hack you, and you don't pay us unless we succeed. But Because, again, we feel so confident that, frankly, the world is trending worse, that it's becoming easier to, to break into organizations. And so... <clears throat> So maybe a couple of related trends is the need for what we're proposing, which is a reg regularly hacking organizations so that they can identify those weaknesses before actual hackers do. And I think there's a very, very interesting component of like machine learning and, and artificial intelligence to make the things that are very labor intensive right now easier on both sides. So again, that means that the defenders can utilize it to make their defensive tasks uh, more efficient, but the hackers cannot use it as well. So a very, very interesting trend. Yeah, good question. So excellent. Tyler, thank you very much thank for you. just a really... Well, Mike, I found that uh, talk by Tyler really fascinating. And one of the things that really jumped out at me, uh, which I certainly wouldn't have said before listening to him speak, was sort of the similarities between a super high-tech consulting business and running an espresso bar. You know, the thing that jumped out at me is Tyler's relentless pursuit of being focused on his customers and making sure he delivers a product that his customers are happy with. And I think that's a great lesson for entrepreneurs and people who are building a business uh, to remember, that without customers, uh, you have no business. And whether it's a super high-tech consulting business 
or you're running an espresso bar, you got to leave people with a smile on their face and they have to be happy. And it's a another great testament to the power of the word of mouth. You know, if you think about it, he, he I think he said he doesn't do a lot of advertising and his business grows kind of on a referral basis. So that's one thing that really jumped out at me. Uh, what was something that jumped out at you, Mike? Well, building off what you said, Bela, this idea of having a, a laser focus on customers, it runs counter to a lot of what I hear are words of advice for entrepreneurs, which is know your market, know your customer, know your target, know your business inside and out, be an expert. But this guy, Tyler, was in multiple businesses, right? Cybersecurity, the coffee business, now co-working spaces. How do you kind of make all this fit together, Bela? It's it's a little bit of a mystery to me. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, you know, it goes back to the characteristics that are common amongst entrepreneurs. I think they're curious. They clearly have a curious mind. Uh, Tyler has this continuous focus on learning. Uh, you know, if you listen to sort of between the lines, uh, he didn't finish high school. And uh, so, you know, another one of the entrepreneurs that uh, uh, left high school, uh, it's not uncommon. Uh, it's, I don't, I'm not recommending that, um, but it is a path that uh, people have been able to do. But he had some unique characteristics that enabled that that enabled for him to still be successful, even though he sort of stepped back from a formal education. And that's this self-driven, continuous focus on learning. Uh, He also figured out that working in a larger company doesn't work well for him. Uh, Again, I think if you listen between the lines, he did learn some valuable lessons there, but he figured out that wasn't the environment that worked for him. And uh, he clearly likes to drive the bus <laughs> and not being a passenger on the bus. Uh, that's a, a particular trait he has. And I think that, along with his focus on customers, are some real common characteristics that he has that's made him successful across this very diverse set of businesses, right? We haven't talked about uh, his uh, shared working space. Here again, now he's a landlord. Uh, he's providing these services to, you know, starting to upcoming companies. So he's in three very, very diverse types of businesses, uh, but they do have these common characteristics. I like you it. Know, so, oh, sorry. You know, yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. Uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting when we talked about hiring folks, um, you know, up until a few years ago, you really, there was no training for being a cybersecurity person. Now, a few colleges and universities have started formal education programs in that. Uh, so, and, and there's no place to go to learn how to be a barista, uh, at least not around this region. Uh, so how do you hire people? And I think it comes down to what he said was this notion of passion, curiosity, uh, and you're working in a constantly changing environment and making sure that the folks you bring in, whether it be in the super high-tech lead cybersecurity company or in his uh, cafes, uh, have those characteristics. So those were the things that struck out at me, Mike. Neat. I I think there's a real thread here. Uh, Orientation toward learning is huge, even when it doesn't include formal education. uh, is fantastic. And then passing that craving for learning on that Tyler showed 
into the culture of his organization, into the hiring process, into the emphasis he puts on training across all his businesses. Uh, and then he said a lot of interesting things about how that transfers over into the financial side of business and in terms of cash flow and capital needs. I think that that was a really neat piece, too, to connect how do you create a really customer-focused, learning-centered environment where your employees are going to be uh, engaged and motivated and not turn over? Um, how do you plan around that in terms of your labor costs and cash flow or in terms of your capital needs to start the business? Any takeaways that you saw there, Bela? So one of the things that, that jumped out at me here again if you look at both of those businesses, you know the folks that work at Leap Cybersecurity are in high demand, and those folks can walk and go someplace else and, and find another job. And it's similar in sort of, you know, coffee shops. Those are not folks that is <clears throat> fairly high turnover. So the question is, how do you keep good quality people? And Tyler, I said, <clears throat> excuse me, Tyler said an interesting thing. He said, it's not about work-life balance. It's about life balance. And if you provide people with a life balance, i.e. a flexible work schedule, ability to work remotely, if the business allows that, uh, those are important things <clears throat> that keep good people there. And I remember in one of our earlier podcast episodes with Ed Mitson, um, who runs uh, Finger Paint, he also talked about that, that this notion of life balance is really important. And and his business was basically a consulting business, much like Leet Cybersecurity. And the work there and the demands on your time ebb and flow. There are periods of time where, you know what, you got to come in on Saturday and Sunday and you got to work really long hours because you got to meet this customer demand. But there's other times when maybe things are not so busy and you use that time to enable people to balance their lives. So that was a thing that jumped out at me, too. Great. That was a really great interview. Thanks for uh, going out of your way to, to get Tyler to talk because I, I took a lot out of that and I hope the listeners did too. We're really happy that everybody joined us uh, in our podcasting adventure for this week and we hope you found the last hour interesting and thought-provoking as well. We have two small requests. One is if you have questions about what we discussed or suggestions about topics or potential guests, uh, get in touch with us. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And number two, if you like what we're doing, hit subscribe in your podcast app uh, or even be radical and consider writing a quick review. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that. If you know others that might find us interesting, please share us with them as well. It'd be great. So that's it for this week. Thanks, thanks for spending time with us. We look forward to a great conversation in our next ex episode. So see you next week, Mike. Sounds great, Bela. Have a great week yourself.